Hello and welcome to I Can Relate. I'm Jessica Burns. This podcast takes us on people's journeys through personal and sometimes sensitive experiences. These are usually topics that are not spoken about. And the hope here is that by bringing them to light, it'll help others feel less alone in what they're going through. I look forward to embarking on this journey with you as we develop a greater understanding and empathy for one another. I sit down with Debbie Ray Rivers. She started a charity called SCARS, which stands for Saving Children and Revealing Secrets, which she set up to prevent children from sexual abuse. Debbie is a survivor herself, as are her two daughters, and she shares with us their journey. She was also the first adult that I told about something that happened to me when I was a child. The biggest takeaway for me was when Debbie shares her tips on how to recognize the signs of someone who is being sexually abused. I consider these life-saving tips that are vital to know if you have children or work with them in any way. Please note that this episode may be triggering. Hi, Debbie, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Jess, how are you? I'm good, I'm so excited to see you. It's been years. It's been a long time, it sure has. And you look beautiful. Thank you so much. Have you been okay with lockdown? Everyone's safe? Yes, I sure have. Um, working from home still and, um, and just being, just feeling blessed that we can still um, advance our mission, even though we are working from home. Good. So everyone, Debbie is the mom of my best friend growing up, and she was like a second mother to me, so I'm really honored to have her on this podcast. She's a super role model to me. So without further ado, Debbie, could you tell us a little bit about what SCARS is? Yes, absolutely. So SCARS stands for Saving Children and Revealing Secrets. We are a Bermuda-registered charity. Um, we were created, uh, born October 27th, 2011. Um, our mission is to reduce the risk of child sexual abuse in our country of Bermuda. Um, and to also um, be an advocate and a voice for children who have been sexually molested as well as their affected family. Um, it was sadly born out of a tragedy. Uh, so over 14 years ago, I discovered that both of my little girls um, ages nine and 10 at the time were both sexually molested by a trusted 78 year old family member. Um, I was left with a broken family because um, I chose to um, report the man that stole my children's innocence. So that broke up a very close relationship with one of my family members. Um, I was left with scarred children because sexual abuse leaves emotional scars for many. Um, but I was also left with a passion for change uh, because 14 years ago, we were not where we are today when it comes to education and awareness on this issue of child sexual abuse. And I, I, there were a lot of things as I went through this journey that um, back in 2004 and 2005, 2006, I, there were a lot of things I just couldn't understand. Um, and I knew that the answer to all my questions was really education and awareness. So um, it took me about seven years to heal. And then I... Um, started an organization um, that would help really eradicate, you know, address uh, child sexual abuse in, um, in my country of Bermuda. Wow. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about what the charity does? 
Right, absolutely. So our charity educates our community in child sexual abuse prevention. So um, after it took me about seven years to heal, I started uh, researching a year before I started SCARS, researching um, prevention because I thought as a mother, was there something that I missed? Why didn't I see this? Why didn't I pick up on the signs? And so I, I and, and, and was there anything I could have done to prevent it? So I um, researched child sexual abuse prevention and I found um, this organization called Darkness to Light and they had a program called Stewards of Children. It was an educational curriculum that taught adults how to recognize, prevent, and react responsibly to this issue of child sexual abuse. So it sounded great to me. I took vacation from work, flew to Atlanta, and I became a facilitator in this training. As, as I sat through this eight-hour facilitator workshop, I, was, I thought to myself, if I would have done this training before or during the time my children were being deceived and, um, and, and, and you know, had been harmed and scarred by this issue, um, if I would have done this training before, um, I would have seen the signs. I would have talked to my children differently. I would have talked to other adults about this. Um, and it was real educational and I knew it was the right thing for Bermuda. So I brought it back to Bermuda. And what we do in Bermuda now is we provide this training curriculum to parents and to youth serving organizations who are entrusted with the care of children. And, um, and we, we teach them what it takes to protect children. And um, it's a, it, it, in Bermuda, we do it in three hours. It is a um, considered certified. Now in Bermuda, you cannot even teach at a, at, a, at a public school or a private school without this certification. And you did that, wow. Yeah, I did it along with the help. Um, you know, when I first started SCARS, um, when, I, when, when I was, um, I'd written the business plan with my husband and um, a, a, a good childhood friend named John Brunson, he heard I was starting this organization and uh, he came alongside um, right from the beginning and um, he helped me take all my passion and with his vision and my vision, um, you know, we just hit the ground running. Um, we have trained uh, 10,472 adults in Bermuda in prevention. So that represents about 19.7% of our adult population have now been educated in how to prevent the sexual abuse of our children. Um, and that's yeah, that a tipping point. I remember there, there's something classified as a tipping point where you've educated a certain amount of the population. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. A man named Malcolm Gladwell, who's an amazing human being, has written some books. And one of the books he wrote was, I think it's called Little Things Make a Difference. And it's his theory. And he believes that if you can affect 5% of a given population on a certain behavior, you can start changing behavior. And we can see that tipping point theory really uh, come to life in Bermuda because now it's mandated for youth serving organizations. If you open your doors for children, many of our youth, not all of them yet, it's not mandated by law, we're working on that, but many of our youth serving organizations, because the parents are putting the pressure on some of these organizations, they want these youth serving organizations who open their doors to children to know what to look out for. Um, so, so a lot of our youth serving organizations um, have mandated this, this, this critical prevention training and they also uh, mandate that it should be done every three years. So recertification, you know, to reminders of some of the things that they learned three years ago. So we've recertified 1,481 adults 
and we've certified 10,472. So that is really huge. It's really not about scars, just it's about um, children in Bermuda and the protection of them. And it's about our community that seriously cares about children. And we've seen the tipping point work because now what's happening is not only are you serving organizations mandating this training, but we're seeing laws become enhanced and changed. We have a wonderful attorney general uh, who is really taking child protection seriously in this country. So we're seeing laws change. That's what happens when you educate a lot of people. We're seeing um, reports have increased by 125% according to the Department of Public Prosecution because now people are feeling empowered to report this. It's, reporting is so important um, because not only it helps with the journey of healing for victims, but it also sends a clear message to perpetrators that we take this seriously. And if we don't report, it could allow further harm. And so, um, and it's hard because we're a small community. So reporting is very difficult. It was a very difficult thing in my family. Um, but, um, you know, we cannot assume the role a person plays in a family or in an organization or in a community or in a political arena or in any type of organization, we can't assume uh, that the role a person plays um, necessarily keeps children safe. So we have to do everything we can as parents and people who care about kids to protect them. And we have to learn everything we can. So what are the signs that you think that if you had known, what, what can someone look for in kids who are being sexually assaulted? So it's really a change of behavior. If you see a child who was, you know, in your life that was happy and joyful and all of a sudden you see this change of behavior, they could be withdrawn or sad, even angry because they don't know how to voice what's happened to them or angry because they told somebody in their life and that adult didn't do the right thing and do something about it or um, fear. That could be another emotion that a child would feel because sometimes People who harm children will say, you know, your, your mother will kill me and that will make, you know, my wife sad or, um, you know, I'll kill you or nobody's going to believe you. And so they, the child, you know, is even silenced and then having this emotion of just sadness and fear like I can't tell. Or sometimes the adults in their life respond when they do tell, um, well, what's this going to do to our family or how is this going to affect this other person's career or life or marriage and that just at the end of the day you know we have to do what's right for children and 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 children don't have a voice so we really have to help them find that, that voice and uh, talk to children early and often about body safety but we also have to intervene when adults are crossing the boundaries of children we as adults must intervene it's an adult's responsibility to protect children so you know if somebody's pushing for isolated one-on-one -on -one situations you know 80, over 80% 80 Jess of child sexual abuse occurs in isolated one-on-one. -on -one. The reason it's isolated is because sex offenders don't do this in front of other people. This is their secret, their shame, you know, what they're hiding. So we wanna, we wanna really drastically minimize the opportunity for isolated one-on-one, -on -one, no matter what that is. Um, and so, you know, um, we can do that. We can intervene in that. If you see, you know, somebody who's pushing that isolated one-on-one -on -one, or somebody who's making sexual comments about younger girls or children, you know, that's a red flag. We should not, it should not be okay for adults to say sexual things to children. Any adult who is 
attracted to adults is not going to say something sexual about a child. It's just not going to happen. That is a red flag. May not mean they're sexually abusing them, but they could be struggling with the thoughts of children. Um, you know, um, you know, if you see a child who doesn't want to go with an adult, doesn't want to go home with an adult, you know, if you see a child who's, you know, become withdrawn, um, you know, isolated, those are some of the signs. Depressed, could be using drugs and alcohol, maybe to numb out on what they've experienced. Um, you know, you, you may not know this about me, but um, I too am a survivor of sexual abuse. So I didn't start scars because of me. I thought I was okay with my stuff. Um, and then the man that sexually abused me as an eight-year-old little girl um, showed up for one of our trainings that I was at. He was, um, he wanted to get, he had to get educated because he was gonna help his daughter with the home care center taking care of kids. And he happened to come to a training that I was going to co-facilitate. Um, and um, I, he was 25 when he babysat me, 25 years old. He used to babysit my younger brother and I, and I was eight. And that's when, you know, everything kind of came to the forefront, you know, to the surface for me. Um, I left the training, of course, quite emotional. And I worked, you know, got able to um, empower myself to go back um, because he no longer had power over me. I had to really get a grip on that. And um, so I went back to the training and make a long story short, I went to see him after the training because I wanted to see if he remembered what he did to me. It had been many years, I was eight. And, um, and you know, now I'm in my mid fifties and here he does show up at this training. So I went to see him with my colleague who was co-facilitating with me. And I asked him if he remembered what he did. And he at first didn't know who I was and then he, he admitted everything. And then he said he was sorry. Um, he asked me for forgiveness. And then he um, looked at me and said, but you wanted me to do it. <gasps> so he blamed me. Uh, so, you know, we never blame children for child sexual abuse. And it was at that point that I realized he was not going to be a safe adult um, around children. And that's why I went through prosecution in Bermuda. We have no statute of limitations, thank goodness. And so um, I, um, you know, had to open up that scar and, uh, and that's okay because, um, you know, it was real closure for me um, because I did not want him taking care of children. He could not work in that home care setting. He was, when we blame children for sexual abuse, we are not a safe adult around to be taking care of kids. Um, but I said all that to say what happened with me as a survivor was I was very, very promiscuous as a young girl. And so I confused sex with love. And I look back on my life now and see that. And I see why I had so many, you know, I had a lot of sexual partners and, um, I didn't really understand intimacy um, and I didn't understand what that was. If I, if I didn't have sex, somebody might not love me in a, in a relationship. So um, I see that now, but promiscuity could be another one. So you asked me some of the signs, you know, depression, sadness, you know, acting out, you know, falling grades. There's so many things that could be happening because the median age of sexual abuse is nine. And so you might start seeing the, these signs and these change of behaviors uh, many times. And so those are some of, those are just some of the signs. Um, doesn't mean that everybody experiences them have been sexually abused. That's not what that means either. You could have those signs and the child's never been sexually abused. But the, that's studies from people who, who are survivors who tell their stories. Those are the things that they experienced. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable, Debbie. It's so, 
inspirational and I'm sure it has helped so many people come forward themselves. Have you found since you started the, the charity, people have opened up to you about their experiences? Yeah, I've heard, I would say now in the thousands over the last nine years, it's not even in the hundreds, it's in the thousands. Um, just last week, someone came to my house and just in the car and just said, I'm one of those two. That's how some survivors say it. Um, you know, I think when you say that you are, it helps other people feel free to share their story. And um, I love that. I I'm, I'm love to be able to, to empower them and say, I'm so proud of you and I'm sorry that happened and it was not your fault and you did nothing wrong. And, you know, just really encourage healing because it's so possible with sexual abuse. Um, you know, and, and people share their stories. I've heard the pain. I've seen the tears. You know, I've seen the anger and the depression. Um, you know, I, 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 I've seen it, the, you know, I, I've seen the effects and people's journey. You know, the, the stories of drug addiction, the stories of alcoholism, the, you know, the stories of anger and crime and so many things because of unaddressed trauma from their childhood. My next question was going to be, what are the impacts of like on survivors as adults? And it sounds. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, if it's not addressed as in, in our childhood and we don't receive healing from that. And remember, you know, before years ago, and you wouldn't remember this, Jess, because you're, you're, you're a young lady. But in my day, you know, you couldn't get help. You certainly wouldn't go to a psychologist. That was you know, deemed like you were crazy or, you know, we, we weren't able to talk about our problems years ago. You just kind of like suck it up and move on. And, you know, and, and sometimes that stuff gets buried inside and it comes out in many other ways. So yeah, it can be relationship issues. For me, it was also trust issues. If you talk to anyone who knows me quite well, I, I have trouble with trust. The person I trusted to take care of me and babysit me didn't do that. He gained sexual pleasure from me. He was there to take care of me and babysit me. So it makes you like kind of really think about who you can trust. Um, and, you know, question things in relationships. I'm getting better at it. I'm learning not to make people pay for what happened to me as a, as a little girl. And I have to work on some of those thoughts in my head. But um, it can be eating disorders. Sometimes food can be the thing that we have power over um, because our power is taken from us for, as a little girl. It could be body issues. Um, it can be, you know, not enjoying sex, or it could be, you know, um, you know, just sadness, and and sometimes so you depression. It could be, you know, it it could be, you know, alcoholism to numb out, or you know, it could even be in some children bedwetting. I've heard survivors tell me they wet their bed. Not everybody who wets their bed has been sexually abused, but I've spoken to a, you know, specifically one I'll never forget, a male survivor who told me um, he wet his bed till he was in his late teens. He thought he was just a horrible kid. Um, but it was about, you know, just being nervous. It was a landlord. So he was afraid, never knew when the landlord was going to show up at his house. And so, you know, um, it, it, it comes out in so many forms, um, you know, falling grades. Who can focus in school when you're being abused? Like, <laughs> are we surprised about that? You know, anger, you know, what if, what if people tell and nobody believes them or they tell and, and nobody does anything about it? That could make somebody angry. Um, so there's so many guilt. You know, I spoke to a survivor who said, you know, why did I keep going over there? I said, well, sex feels good when you're young. You don't understand that. You can't blame yourself. 
why did I like it? I said, of course you like it. Your body responds. Our body responds to that. But we're so confused as children. We don't understand that. We don't get that till we're older. So it can be guilt. You know, why didn't I say anything? Why didn't I do anything? You know, and those emotions are just playing with our minds. Children don't understand. And we did not have education years ago about this. So we're not to feel guilty. Um, sometimes, you know, um, it's shameful. Sexual abuse can be very shameful. Um, you know, um, it, it, it just affects so many people in so many different ways. Um, and, and it can bring out so many different emotions. Yeah. And I remember, so for everyone, this is going to be a first time for me saying something like this publicly. Oh God. So Debbie, <laughs> oh, I didn't think I'd cry right away. Whoa. Oh, so Debbie was someone who was the first person I told about being sexually assaulted as a child, but I didn't know that's what it was. And I still don't know if that's what it was. Um, but there's so, for me, I never come forward about it because I just don't know if that's what it was. And there's a lot of confusion around what is sexual assault, especially as a child, because parents have so much or not parents, adults have so much power and you just listen to them and do what you're told, especially people in authority. So Debbie was someone who, as I mentioned before, my best friend, her daughter's my best, was my best friend. And I told her and she told me about her situation. And we went running over to tell Debbie and she was the first adult I ever told. And I'll never forget and the first thing he said was, I believe you and you're okay. And thank you for telling me. So Debbie, thank you all these years later. That meant a lot to me. <laughs> I'm so proud of you, Jess. First, let me say, I'm so proud of you. There is healing in the water. So tears are good. We heal when we cry. Every time we cry, we heal. Yeah. Um, but for, for listeners out there, I think I was maybe like six or seven at the time of the assault and I, I don't even remember my age but I think that's why it's so important in like you're saying the statute li limitations of how long it takes you to say something it took me years to know that that wasn't what like what it was I still as I've mentioned I don't know if that was assault or not I just it it's something I look back on and I think that was absolutely not right but I am still feeling so ashamed to think of the, like, for me, it's the guilt. I feel like I'm lying and yeah. ugh, it's horrible. Like, I don't want to say anything. I'm like, I'm, I'll be a liar. I'll be called a liar. Yeah. Unless other victims come out. Yes. If someone else, yes, out, they're like, not. Hallelujah. <laughs> I wasn't, I didn't make this up in my head. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why there's no witnesses with child sexual abuse. That's the sad thing. We, there's no witnesses. So it really is one person's word against the other. Well, this is why when I went to confront the man that abused me all these years later, he could have said to me, I didn't do that. He could have denied it. And I prayed that I just prayed on my way over there. I'm a praying girl. And I prayed on my way over there that truth would be told. That's all I asked was that the truth would come out because when, especially with historical cases, it is one person's word against the other. And it takes boldness to come out and, 
and 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 we have a case right here in Bermuda where you know I can't really talk about it, but you know um, you know it it took one brave soul to come out, and it was discovered that you know I believe you know it was discovered that um, perhaps she wasn't the only one, but it does take that, and it also you know it takes bravery because and that's hard to it's hard to do it because what we think about is how is this going to affect so many other people or like me um i i can relate to what you said because as i was driving over there i knew what he did to me i knew it was inappropriate i knew that he touched me in areas of my body that he should have never touched me he was there to babysit me not gain sexual pleasure from my private parts um and so it was by the grace of god that he admitted um but then he then he absolutely then turned around and said, but you wanted me to do it. So then he blamed me. And so, and right after I left there, you know, shortly after I called the police and made my report. Um, but I had somebody, I went, I took somebody with me. So he said it in front of two people. And I think those are the type of things that, you know, when it comes to historical cases, they're very difficult. They're very, very difficult. Um, but I am so proud of you. And if you felt it was inappropriate, then it was inappropriate. Um, we are not to question ourselves because when we are little and things happen to us, um, you know, I, I don't think it's just like we had this bad dream. I think, um, but I understand how that feels because it's scary. It's very scary. But I'm so proud of you. Thank you, Debbie. Yeah, I guess many people do feel this. It's the fear of being wrong and then maybe, um, ruining someone's reputation because you have it in your head um, yeah. how I you know I saw this person about a year ago for the first time and it was so weird um I was really nervous um and I I had to see them it wasn't a situation that I wanted to um it was a situation I came home and they were so normal and nonchalant and so I was like oh you know, would, I don't know, I was expecting them to be weird about it, but I guess when you are potentially like hurting children, you know exactly how to almost manipulate adults. Like now that I'm oh. an adult, I feel manipulated in that way. I'm like, oh, he couldn't have done it. He's been, he was so nice to me. Maybe when I was younger, I got this wrong. And I remember yeah. that thing. And that yes. was right. Yeah, sex offenders are master manipulators. They've manipulated the family, they've manipulated the child, they've manipulated the people in their life. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's why historical cases, it's strength in numbers. Look at Larry Nassar, the head of the gymnastics. Look at all those victims. It took one, and then all of a sudden another came out, and another came out, and another came out. And, um, and, you know, and, and, and then with historical cases, I think that's what it takes um, because it's so long ago and it's hard to prove. But I will say one thing, sex offenders don't only do it once. No, you can't have somebody who suddenly, it'd be like someone that you know who's an adult and loves their spouse. And then suddenly tomorrow, they're gonna start being sexually attracted to children. It doesn't work that way. That is an illness, it's a sickness and many times cannot be controlled. They may try to control the whole situation around them and they may manipulate everybody around them, but, um, but it is an illness. 
Oh, and where, is there anywhere that these people can get help themselves? Well, first they have to admit they have a problem. And can that incriminate them? Um, yeah, if victims come forward, it absolutely can. Um, but that's the risk that they take. So do they want to stop? They want to stop bad enough, they're going to go get some help because otherwise they're just going to keep continue to destroy lives. People who sexually abuse children, it destroys many lives. It's very important that they get, get some help. Um, now, I really don't know what that means for psychologists because um, a psychologist would have to report it if a child, you know, we're all mandated reporters. So if a child disclosed that this person did it, then they have to report it. If a sex offender um, admits it and the victims are adults, you know, that's a choice whether an adult wants to, you know, prosecute. Um, but the question would be, is the adult, does the adult continue to take care of kids? Does the adult continue to be responsible for children? That's where the risk is. Um, and so, and it's really hard, especially when people are respected in the community or people are liked in the community or they have a family because then people start thinking about what this is going to do about their family. But Victims don't ask for this. We did nothing to, we did nothing wrong. <laughs> we did nothing wrong. And so it is, it is the, it is the actions of the people who harm children um, who are responsible. Period. End of story. Um, but it is really hard, um, especially for um, when you live in a small community like Bermuda, which is why I think the secret has this stuff has been going on for generations, generations, and it's been silenced, put under the rug, um, because we are a small community and that makes it very, that it's challenging, um, it really is. Um, we are seeing more and more historical cases coming to um, the courts um, and, and Department, of Department of Public Prosecution said, it's the impetus is the SCARS training. People are sitting in this training and they're hearing this and they're going, you know what? This should not have happened to me. Now, sometimes um, sexual abuse, especially with child on child, can be exploring. It doesn't mean that if a child, you know, we've heard a lot of cases of child on child, but it doesn't mean necessarily, you know, um, that, that it was abuse because abuse is when one exerts power over another. So, you know, in a child on child case, it can be simply exploring and parents or the adults in their lives didn't sit them down and tell them about boundaries and say, you, you don't touch your older sister or brother and your older sister or brother don't touch you in your private parts. You know, if so, you come talk to us. You know, we've heard a lot of cases of sibling on sibling, cousin on cousin. Um, some of that is just, you know, children that weren't equipped with the information and hormones start raging. And, you know, sometimes kids don't know what to do with that. And so, but, but when it comes to adults and children, yeah. it is an adult's responsibility to protect children, always not gain sexual pleasure from them. But if a child who gets is undetected and continues to, to bully, sometimes sex offenders are bullies who use sex as a means of obtaining power. If a child continues to have that bully behavior and do stuff to other children that they don't want them and the other children don't want it and say, stop, um, you know, that can turn into, um, you know, turn into a problem going forward in their life to continue to take something that they shouldn't be taking from someone and abusing them and um, gaining sexual pleasure from other uh, children's bodies. That, you know, that's why we're having parents now really talk more about to their young children about this. 
because it was such a taboo subject sex years ago. Um, Especially with, I guess, like culturally in Bermuda and for listeners who may not be in Bermuda, um, small town, Bermuda is a very small town and there's just a lot of shame when it's a small town because everyone knows each other. And you don't want to get in trouble. You don't want to get someone else in trouble. You don't want the, yeah. the, the ramifications of talking about it um, are high. So that's why Absolutely. you so brave. You are yeah, brave. and also you, ha- you might run into your perpetrator. Think about how many survivors in Bermuda, and we have a lot. How I know that is because we surveyed our community um, in 2017. Uh, we had been hearing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories, and we thought this is, very, this is quite prevalent, more so than I thought it was. And, um, and, and, and John, our, um, we both were, all of us who worked at SCARS were like, wow, there's so many survivors. And so we surveyed our own people. And, um, you know, with a population of 53,000, um, we had, at that point, we had trained 6,000 people in 2017. So all the people we trained who now knew what child sexual abuse was, we sent them out a community survey, us and the Bermuda Health Council. We partnered with them. And I sent a cover letter first and I said, you know, we want to find out how many people in Bermuda have been sexually molested. But the only way we do that is ask people, have you ever been, this is the definition. And we asked them a bunch of questions. And I said, we're going to send you a survey because you've done our training. You know what it is. Um, but you don't have to take the survey if you don't want to. Some people don't want other people to know they were abused. So we gave them a choice. And we sent it out. And um, very quickly, the Bermuda Health Council received the results. Um, out of the 6,000 people, 5,000 people actually received the, the community survey because about 1,000 were undeliverables due to email changes. We have every name in a database, all 10,000 names. And at that point, we had all 6,000. But there were about 1,000 undeliverables due to spam, email change, you know, human error putting it in our database, entering it. Um, and so 5,000 people received the survey. Very quickly, the Bermuda Health Council received over 700 respondents that said they had been sexually abused by their 18th birthday. And if you do the numbers based on our adult population, that equates to one in three people in Bermuda have been sexually molested by their 18th birthday when we did this survey in 2017. And that number did not surprise us because that's how many stories we had heard. One in um, three. And what is, the, what is it for women? Usually, um, and see, more women had taken our training than males. Um, but, you know, back then it was like one in one in um, four females, one in six males. But if you speak to male survivors um, that I've spoken with, many say it's, they wouldn't be surprised if it's just as many men as women. Um, because, but men are, are the most, a lot of men won't come out and say it. You know, it's, it, it really, it's so difficult for men because there's this incomprehensible guilt for men. Why didn't I tell? Why didn't I protect myself? You know, men are protectors. You know, they're the protectors in relationships. And of course, they look at it and say, well, why didn't I protect myself? Well, of course you couldn't protect yourself. You were young. You were a little boy. You, were, you didn't understand what was happening to you. These people are more powerful and bigger than you. How could you protect yourself from an older, more powerful individual? But there's this incomprehensible guilt more with men. Women, you know, we, it's emotional. It's, you know, um, and with men, I just think that there's so much guilt for men. Does it question their manhood? You know, there's so many things that go with that. But I think we have a lot of male survivors also who um, have been sexually molested, whose innocence was stolen when they were young. And I heard you say you send out the definition, and I think that's so important. Could you share with the listeners what you define as sexual assault? 
Oh, absolutely. And so I'm going to read it from our book so I can get it absolutely right. Um, so I'm going to tell you, child sexual abuse is a criminal act in which an adult or an older child engages in any sexual activity with a child. Sexual activity may include sexual touching and fondling, genital to genital contact, exposing children to pornography, or adult sexual activity, exploitation of children, rape, attempted rape, and incest. It can be violent or nonviolent in nature. The act may be for the sexual gratification of the perpetrator or a third party. So it doesn't have to only involve penetration. It could be inappropriate viewing without even touching the child, looking at the child's naked body parts. It can be someone asking a child to touch them, exposed here to pornography, viewing a child. Um, and so um, that's, that, is, that is the definition. And for our listeners, Debbie, as I'm sure you can understand, has done incredible work. So Debbie, what would you say, what advice would you give to someone who has, um, who knows someone who's been sexually assaulted? How can they support them? Yeah, so, so if it's an adult who's been sexually abused and tells another adult about it, I believe you. You did nothing wrong. What happened was not your fault. Um, you know, affirm them about that. They, you don't have to hear the details. Don't, only if they want to, when they're ready to. You know, um, I believe you, um, you know, and I'm here to support you, whatever you need. Um, I'm here to support you and know that what happened was not your fault. And if you, if there's no statute of limitations and you feel empowered, I will be here through you to help you walk through that journey. Um, you know, and so that would be as another adult, it's really important in relationships to really, I think, to, to talk about those things because you may have triggers when it comes to intimacy um, or triggers when it comes to trust issues. So it's really important, I think, as, as we as adults to talk about that pain. Um, and if you have someone in your life that loves you, they're going to understand and be there for you unconditionally if they don't understand. And, you know, I think you got to think about that twice. But you really want to, I think it's so important to reveal secrets in relationships because then everybody knows where everybody stands and can, you know, encourage you in that area. Understand when it comes to, you know, sex and you know, some things that may be triggering, um, and it can be for someone who's been sexually abused. So that's how I would just really encourage, I'll we can talk about as little as much as you want. I'm always here for you. Um, you know, I, 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 if you aren't a survivor and you're the uh, partner of a survivor or a friend, you know, I don't, I can't understand what that feels like, but um, I know that children never ask for sex. Even if a child stands naked in a room and says, or looks for sexual you know, activity, it is an adult's responsibility to protect children. It is never a child's fault. So a child, that needs to be reinforced um, so that we can help people who struggle with guilt or shame, you know, that, that no, it was not your fault. You did nothing wrong. Um, and if it's a child, you know, it's like, you know, that's what we teach in our training um, to react responsibly. You know, I believe you. It wasn't your fault. You did the right thing. I'm going to be here for you. It's important that we report this. This is against the law. Um, you know, like how I had to tell my children. It was, for me, it was, I had some help. Oprah Winfrey back in 2004, five, six, she was on in our kitchen every night at eight o'clock on ABC. And she had a, she talked a lot about sexual abuse and it was a blessing for me because I was able to use a lot of her information. And I would say to, say to my children, if Oprah Winfrey could tell the world 
that she was sexually abused and everybody still loves her. We can, we can divulge this. We can, you know, this needs to be go to the authorities because it's a crime. And even though we're related to this person, nobody's above the law, not even the people that we love and trust and know. And so everybody still loves Oprah. We can do this. People are still going to love you. This is not your shame. Um, and I had to really work with that to really empower them and encourage them um, through that process. Um, because remember, it was, it's a family member. So if it's a child, you want to really, um, you know, just if, if you're the parent, I believe you, what happened wasn't your fault. You don't want to say, I'm going to kill that person, which is a very substantiated emotion as a parent. Um, we as parents love our children and we want to hurt anybody that hurts them. But that's not good for children um, because what they think is, if my dad or mom kills this person, then my mom or dad go to jail and we'll get in trouble. And I don't want to lose them. So I don't want to tell any more about this. I'm not going to speak any more about this. So it's really important that parents react responsibly. And we teach that in, this dark, in our Darkness to Light Stewards of Children training. But, um, you know, and if you're not the parent, just you can't make any promises you don't know. You don't know what, how sometimes adults don't make good choices. So you don't want to say everything's going to be okay because it might not be okay. The adults in their life might not react responsibly and still keep this person in their life. So you just want to say, I'm here for you. I'm here to support you. Um, affirm them that they did the right thing on you. That's so important because a lot of survivors or victims don't want anyone to know. They're not sure if they should tell. So you, you, you affirm that they did the right thing by telling and tell them how brave they were for, for, for telling um, and that it does not identify them. I would tell an adult, what happened to you does not identify you as a person in any way, shape or form. Um, you know, and, and don't look at your, I look at myself as not as somebody who was abused. Um, you know, I, I, it, we look at people for their hearts. And, um, and so those are some of the things I hope that helped. Thank you, Debbie. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and being so open. I really hope it empowers others who are feeling and going through the same thing to feel a little bit less alone in what they're going through. And that's really the intention today. Absolutely. And I am super, super, super proud of you, um, Jess. You don't even know. I really am. And um, you're like a daughter to me because like you said, you know, you and my daughter were childhood friends and, uh, and you were like a third daughter to me. And I'm really proud of you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to I Can Relate. If you'd like to hear more of these episodes, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can do this on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or any other platform you're listening on. To become a part of the community, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Join me next time for another episode. Thanks for listening.